As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be again here for the final time in this season in Revelation chapter 12. You can turn in your Bible to Revelation 12. If you've been here these past couple weeks, and this will sound familiar to you, but we'll hear it again. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Uh, Lord, you call us to gain wisdom and insight, to not forget or to turn away from the words of your mouth. So, Lord, would you help us to hear you now, to attend to your words with patient and believing hearts, to trust you wherever you would lead. By your Spirit, would you open our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take up this morning uh, just these first six verses in Revelation 12. So this is Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is the word of God. Now, today, we are setting our focus upon the child in this scene of the unsilent night, as we've called it. If you've been with us during this Advent season, just as a brief recap here, you know that we've been looking at these events around Christmas, specifically with the lens of what is happening in the unseen spiritual realms that are behind the veil. They're unseen to our eyes, and yet they've been revealed to us here in Revelation chapter 12. In this scene, we've looked at three prominent figures. One is the red dragon, the deceiver of the world and the accuser of the brothers, how how he's thrown down to the earth from this war that he has lost in, in the heavens, and now he seeks to devour the child and all who are related to him. We also looked last week at this woman, the one who begins with the sun at her head and the moon at her feet and ends in the wilderness. She is is all the faithful people of God leading up to Jesus. 
all of them from Eve to Mary. And she's pursued by the dragon, and yet she is protected by God. Now, today, we look at the third of these prominent figures, the child, this male child, the son who is born of the woman, the one whom we know as Jesus. And in the full scope of the Bible, we see and learn a whole lot about Jesus. We see of his eternity. That is, Jesus is forever, one who, who was and who is and who is to come. We see of his, of his deity, how even in the beginning he was with God and was God. We see of Jesus' incarnation, how, how at his conception by the virgin, he, he became true flesh. He remains fully divine and yet is also now fully human. We see of his sacrifice that, that by his death on the, on the cross, he became the substitute for our sin, that he took on the full wrath of God for all believers in, our, in his place so that he would save all who believe. And then we see of his resurrection, how, how death did not take Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to death and then he took his life back by conquering death and rising bodily in the flesh again in three days. He brings us with him then in that resurrection again. Jesus is at the very center of our faith. Jesus is at the very center of Christmas And Jesus is at the very center of the book of Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the book. But, but, here in this chapter of Revelation, it is curious that the child, Jesus, even though he is the center and the heart of it all, he receives the least amount of ink of our three prominent figures. We hear lots about the dragon, lots about the woman, but very little is said about Christ, the child. What we hear, most of what we hear in this whole scene about the child is contained primarily in verse 5. Let me read it again. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We get here a a single snapshot of Jesus' whole earthly life, from his birth to the woman to his ascension, where he's caught back up to the heavens to God's throne. We don't get much of in the middle or afterward. We're just told that that his intent, at least part of his intent, in this long-term position is that the child is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Now, a rod of iron is not something that we often think of in relationship to Jesus. Doesn't seem very Christmassy. There's no rod of iron anywhere in my Christmas decorations. And yet, that's almost all of what we hear of the child here. So our big question today is just this. What does it mean? 
What does the rod of iron mean? What does it show us? And within that question, what does the, the rod of iron tell us about this child who's been born to bear that rod of iron? We'll take up the easiest part of this uh, question first. We're told that the material that the rod is made of is iron. And, and uh, that tells us that the rod at least is strong. You know, unyielding, unbreakable. This is not something you could easily snap across your knee. This is not a rod of Ikea uh, that you can just put together with a couple of pins and, and you have to replace it every five years as much as you may love Ikea, and I do too. This is a rod of iron that is made to last. That's the easy part. Less easy to discern is what exactly is the rod of iron. We're not told anything about what it looks like, uh, but we know that it's got to be more than just a metal stick, right? It's not like Jesus, this child, is just walking around with a lead pipe. You know, he's not a plumber or a construction worker or a, you know, in the game of Clue. You know, it's not just that. This rod is a general term in the Bible that can refer to lots of different things in the scripture. But I think here in this context, this rod of iron means to refer to two particular things. That there's a double meaning to this rod that are both intended here, even though one of those meanings has a greater emphasis than the other. We'll get to that as we come to it. But we'll see here, I hope, that the iron rod in the hand of the child is both a shepherd's staff and a king's scepter. The rod of iron is both a shepherd's staff and a king's scepter. So the Christmas story involves lots of shepherds and kings, but we've got the greatest shepherd king right here holding on to this rod of iron. Let's look at each of these components one at a time. The iron rod is first a shepherd's staff. The text tells us what the rod is used for. In the middle of verse 5, he's to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, the text says. But if, if your Bible has a footnote, like mine does, on the word rule, it tells us that the Greek there for the word rule can also mean to shepherd. In fact, that's what the word usually means in the scripture when it's noted. Some English translations, if you're reading out of a different translation, maybe even translate this word as he's going to shepherd the nations with a rod of iron. That is, that, that Jesus relates to all of his people, from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, like a shepherd who shepherds his sheep. We see that idea not only here in Revelation, but it's woven into the very Christmas story. Matthew, when he's uh, telling about the Christmas scene, quotes from the old prophet Micah in Matthew chapter 2. He, he says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, listen, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel, from Bethlehem. That the, so, so the promised child from Bethlehem will be a rule who doesn't just rule. He's not just here to boss people around. 
It's not like this ruler just sits on his big, comfy chair and makes a bunch of laws and rules for everybody else. This ruler shepherds his people, and he uses an iron rod to do that. Now, early shepherds of this day might use their rod or staff for many purposes. It could be used as a weapon, a way to defend the sheep against the predators, to strike or to fight off any, any wolf or dragon that might come. It could also be used as a tool to steer. You know, I kind of need these sometimes as a dad. You tap the sheep in the direction they might go, boop, 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 boop. Or you can pull them back from the dangers in the way they should not go. It can also be used as a rod of discipline. That is, it can be a a way to give a a firm corrective whack or, or a jab when something is starting to go wrong. And Christ's rod of iron does all of these things as well. Which means, if you are one of Jesus' sheep, if you are one of his own, who know him and hear his voice, that doesn't just mean he's carrying you around, like we see in a lot of the paintings of Jesus, holding the lamb. He might absolutely do that. But also, as a shepherd, he uses his shepherd's staff of iron. And he'll use it to defend you, but also to discipline you because he deeply loves and cares for his sheep. So do you, do I, are we willing to receive both of these things, to receive both his defense and his discipline? Not just are we willing to receive that, do we seek You know, we can hear our priorities in the things that we pray. These are often things that weigh on us the most, that we think about the most. So so we ask Jesus to defend us all the time as well we should. Lord, rescue me from these struggles, from these fears, from this chaos. Deliver me from despair and defeat and disease. But do we ask Jesus to discipline us? That is, Lord, if there, if there is sin in me, either if I'm headed down that path or now entangled with it, Lord, I want you, I want you to strike me with your rod as is needed so that you'll lead me on paths of righteousness. These are prayers like, Lord, train me in patience rather than just remove all my difficulties. Lord, train me to trust you rather than to just remove all of my deficiencies. Lord, train me to love my neighbor rather than just let me gripe and grumble and mope about them all the time. We want this. This is good for us. The the rod of iron in the hand of the Lord is good for the sheep in all of its uses. 
We need to remember, though, that it is the rod that is iron, not the shepherd. It's a rod of iron, not a shepherd of iron. The Lord is a good shepherd. He is not cold and unbending. He is gentle and lowly of heart, which is why we can say things like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and I will fear no evil, because your rod and your staff, even when they strike me, they comfort me. That's one of the meanings of the child's rod of iron, is that we see it as a shepherd's staff. But the other meaning here gives, has a greater emphasis in the text. This is happening at the same time, but with more going on to it. The iron rod is also a king's scepter which is why it's often translated as it is here in my Bible that he will rule, not just shepherd, but rule the nations with a rod of iron. This use of the rod is not for loving care as the shepherd's staff is. This use of the rod is for sharp judgment. We know this because the only other time in the book of Revelation where we see Jesus with the rod of iron again, it's part of perhaps the most intense picture of Jesus we see in all of the scriptures. This is in uh, just a few chapters later in Revelation chapter 19. And in that scene there, we see Jesus riding in on a white horse. He has many diadems or crowns on his head. His eyes flame like fire, and his robe is dipped in blood. And he's leading a charge with all the armies of heaven. And in that chapter, we hear this in verse 15 of Jesus From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This picture of Jesus can be difficult sometimes to reconcile in our mind with everything else we know of Jesus. We have Christ the Good Shepherd. We also have Christ the Warrior King. And that's the same Christ. We need to keep in mind that Jesus is not here or ever a bad king. When he rules with a rod of iron, it's not because he's a fascist dictator like Stalin or Mussolini. He's not someone who's thirsty for power with a fragile little ego, and so he's going to crush even the innocent among him with an iron fist. That's not this. Jesus is a good king who loves the nations, 
Some of his last words on earth before he's caught up to heaven at the throne of God is he says, go to all the nations. Make disciples of all of them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want you to to teach them what it looks like to walk by faith in God and to obey all that he commands. He's giving an open invite, a call to the world. Repent and come. Come share in the fruit of the tree of life, which is for the healing of all the nations. That's his desire in some sense, and yet also in the end. When everything is exposed and all hearts are revealed, there are many, many from all nations, including ours, who do not repent of sin, who do not come to Jesus, and who have no share in the fruit of the tree of life. And for those people, they will receive the wrath of God that is executed by the iron scepter in the hand of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's make sure then that we do not bump this iron scepter out of Christmas. I'm not suggesting that we need to go around talking about war and judgment all the time. People like that are insufferable and foolish. It is right for us to emphasize Christmas as Merry Christmas, not Scary Christmas. Merry Christmas, it's supposed to be that. The angels that proclaimed the birth of Christ said, hey, this is good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. The coming of Christ is even better news of greater joy than we can realize, even now. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And when he's with us, it's not just saying that he's present with us, that he's around us, that he's sort of in the same room with us, that he's with us, that he's for us. There is a sense in which he is on our side. Jesus is born to earth to save the world. That means that Christmas really does involve all the things that are often associated with it. All the hope, all the peace, all the joy, all the love. Christ brings all of that and so much more. He is the, he's the light of the world who, who gives light to those who sit in darkness and, and guides our feet in the way of peace. So merriment around Christmas time is fitting. We should never take that away or let anyone take that away at the same time. We don't want our merriment to be reduced to sweet pleasantries either. This child is not just a little Lord Jesus who lays down his sweet head and that's it. Jesus is not a Christian Santa. who who shows up once a year bringing gifts of comfort and joy and is everybody's favorite guy. He's the one who comes to rule the nations with a rod of iron, 
this scene in Revelation where we see Christ's rod of iron, it's not just something that we find in the curious little corners of Revelation. The scene in this final book of the Bible is drawing on the words of all of the scriptures. In particular, there's one psalm that it seems to have in mind, Psalm 2. And in this psalm, uh, there's, there's a big discussion about the Son of God and his relation to the nations and how he even relates to the nations with a rod of iron. Let me read part of this psalm that will carry us to the end, but I want you to listen in this text, not only for the rod of iron, but how this affects our joy. This is Psalm chapter 2. I'll pick up in verse 8. The Lord says uh, to the Son, Ask of me, And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's a lot here, but we can see at least that because of the rod of iron, In the hand of the sun, there is to be rejoicing with trembling. Did you catch that line? Rejoice with trembling. This is a particular type of joy that carries a gravity with it. A joy that recognizes the the deep and profound things of God that are interwoven with it. So we know that, that around Christmas time, a lot of the joy that gets peddled culturally and on TV and other places, a lot of the Christmas time joy that's peddled is a weightless joy. There's just little lasting substance to it, and it's fleeting. It goes up faster than smoke. It's like a Christmas sugar rush. It tastes good when I bite it, but it doesn't really satisfy. It only leads me to crave more of it. Or like the unwrapping of a, of a package. You get this little surge, this dopamine hit of excitement, but that excitement is just quickly forgotten in the wrapping paper that's all scattered all over the, all over the floor. Weightless joy is not big enough. It's not big enough. But if we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, that rocks our world, brings us a sort of joy that is mixed with trembling. To be in the very presence of God, we recognize that everyone will Stand before God. Everyone. Every person will come 
under the child's rod of iron one way or another. And for some, that will be a rod of blessing. For others, it will be a rod of curse. For some, it's rejoicing with trembling. For the others, it's just the trembling. For some, it's the shepherd's staff, a source of safety and refuge. For others, it's just the king's scepter that will shatter them in pieces. The distinction between which rod of Christ we meet, that distinction is not based on how good I did at life. Whether I did more good things than bad things, whether I really tried my hardest, whether I really did my best, no, the distinction is based on whether we kissed the sun. Kiss the sun. That kiss is not just you bend down and kiss the top of his curly little head in the manger like you would do with a newborn. Kiss the son like kneeling before him to touch your mouth to his hands and feet as you would do with a Lord to pledge your allegiance to him. This child born at Christmas is a shepherd king who rules the nations with a rod of iron. He is worthy of all of our love, and he's worthy of all of our worship. Pray with me. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see this. Help us to see you, to receive you for all that you are in all your humbleness and all your majesty. Help us then to worship and adore you for it, that we would follow you forever as our shepherd and king and share in your joy. We ask this grace in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.